Welcome to The Wall of Soundtrack, a show where we discuss the music and soundtracks behind the very best TV shows and motion pictures. This episode was taken from a live stream that Cy Shackleford and I did on the soundtrack behind John Watts' Marvel film, Spider-Man No Way Home. Hope you enjoy. What's up, everybody? It's Andrew from Rotunes Reviews, and today we are coming back at you with another episode of the Wall of Soundtrack, and we are covering Spider-Man No Way Home, and I have here with me Cy Shackleford from the 301 Colored Commentators podcast. What's up, Cy? How's it going, man? Andrew, how you doing, bro? How I'm you doing, doing great, man. Excited to do this episode today. Was really looking forward to it. Me too. Me too, man. This has been the best Spider-Man film of all of all the ones that have been released since 2002. This is the best one. And I've been telling people, this is what happens when Disney slash Marvel Studios, when they get their characters back from the other film studios, they can do a way better job. And to drive the point home, they had the other Spider-Mans up in this film too. Yeah, I mean, you have three uh, really good actors, you know, Tom Holland, uh, you know, Toby Maguire and and Andrew Garfield, man, it's like every Spider-Man fan dream, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it is, yeah. And Holland, I gotta say, ever since Holland's introduction into the MCU as that version Spider-Man, I gotta say he's been the best one. But juxtaposing him with Maguire's take and uh, Garfield's take, it made me reassess my take on those previous on those previous Spider-Mans as well, too. Considering how long it's been since they've they've uh, assumed the role. And they were good in this film, so good, especially Garfield. Yeah, he's an amazing talent. I mean, I think underrated too. I don't think a lot of people know a lot of the great films that he he's done, like Social Network. I mean, he was in Hacksaw Ridge, right? With uh, uh, what was that? That was a Clint Eastwood uh, film. Mm-hmm. That was a really Clint Eastwood good. film, yeah. And uh, what's it called? Uh, Social Network. I love them in that. It's like I'm not coming back for thirty percent. I'm coming back. For everything, everything. Yeah, he, he slams. Uh, he slams. Uh, what's that? Mark Mark Zuckerberg's laptop. Laptop. Down. Yeah, he's wired in. Is he's he? Wired. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How about now? He's still scene. wired in. I love that scene where he just like he starts going at it with uh, with Sean Parker, who's played by Justin Timberlake, and Justin Timberlake just did such an amazing job. He did. That. He made us hate. He made us hate Sean Parker. Like, what's it called? In the scene where he basically gives like two middle fingers to Gar- to uh, Eduardo Saverin, Garfield's character, saying, yeah. "Here's your nineteen thousand dollars." But I wouldn't cash it though. I drew it on the account. He froze, and he motions like he's going to yeah. punch him. And Parker flinches. <laughs> I like standing next to you, Sean. Makes me look so tough. <laughs> he called you a bitch in so many words, and everybody saw it. Yeah, he did it right in front of everybody in the office. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy, but uh, and yeah, the guards. Man. And the guards that were escorting him out, they didn't even bother to stop him neither. It's like I hate this guy too, so I'll let you have it. <laughs> yeah, they didn't even they didn't even get physical or anything. Nah, which I thought nah. was funny. But uh great film. If you haven't seen Social Network, check it out. An awesome David Fincher oh, yeah. film. Um, but you know, back to this film again, Spider Man No Way Home, a huge hit. I mean, this this movie made one point six off of a two hundred million dollar budget man one, cor- correction 1.8 as of today oh 1.8 sorry yes um, yes still a ton of money uh just a huge success 
And man, I wish I could have, you know, invested some money into this movie, right? Or gotten some of the points yeah. on the back end because I would have been a wealthy man after that. But <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. You would have been, no doubt, no doubt. Um, some background on the film. It's the third film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Spider-Man franchise and the 27th MCU film overall. It's part of phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is going to be from 2021 up until 2023. Yeah, and this film, like Andrew said, it was a commercial, a gigantic commercial success and critical success, too. You got Tom Holland reprising his role as Peter Parker slash the Amazing Spider-Man. Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. The She's a fan service Aunt May, to tell you the truth, yo. Because Aunt May is usually an old lady, a geriatric elderly old lady. So seeing Marissa Tomei making her MCU debut as Aunt May in uh, Captain America's Civil War in 2016, I was like, Wait a minute, you're Aunt May now, but but you're but you're 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 a milf and you don't even got kids in real life. <laughs> well, the thing that's crazy is that she, I mean, she was an she's an Academy Award winner, right? I mean, she won yeah. for My Cousin Vinny, right? My like, Cousin Vinny, yeah. And then she um, was in been, the Wrestler too, and she which for which she also got an Oscar nod for that. Uh, she's she's very versatile. She was in Anger Management with uh, Adam Sandler. She was oh, Beyonce yeah. in there. That was funny. That was a funny movie. That's um, funny as hell. Yeah, Jack Nicholson is great. Um, but yeah, this movie was just was huge. And um, I think fans well, loved it. I mean, they, I mean, they also had uh, cameos, what, from um, Tom Hardy, you know, at the end. He was, what, Venom, right? Yeah, like, they had him in there, too. Yeah, I was not expecting that in the post credit scene. Um, uh, Euphoria is Zendaya. She reprised her role as uh, MJ Michelle Jones, not, uh, not Mary Jane, mind you. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch, he's in here as Doctor Strange, and he plays a big role in this film. Yeah, and, uh, and John Favreau. Yeah, I was gonna say John Favreau as mm -hmm. um, oh, what's his name? Happy like, Happy Hogan. Happy Hogan. Yeah, he was the bodyguard, right, for um, Tony Stark. Yeah, for Iron Man. Mm hmm. And and uh, the villains, of course, you got Willem Dafoe. He's he's been a fan favorite. He's been a fan favorite for decades now, reprising his role as uh, Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin. Jamie Foxx reprising his role as Electro from the um, from the uh, the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. Uh, Alfred Molina, who was in the trailer as the as Doc Ock, Doctor Octopus. Oh, who else? Uh, Thomas Hayden Church as the Sandman. Yeah, and th this was uh, what the two films before this, right? That were both done by John John Watts, right? As well. Yeah. Spider-Man: yeah, Far From Home, and then the then Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yeah, Spider-Man Homecoming, that was the first. That was the first Spider-Man film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, they all have a home theme in the title. And when the, with the, when the first film when the first film dropped in 2017, I'm like, is this a sly reference to Spider-Man finally coming home back to Disney slash Marvel? But then they tried to add a plot in there involving Spider-Man's high school having a homecoming dance. So I'm like, okay, okay, trying to throw people off. Okay, but I know what y'all meant. <laughs> yeah and, and you know what's crazy about this soundtrack too which we'll get in, into uh in just a second but all the uh new york musicians that were in this soundtrack i mean you know i think it obviously a nod to uh to new york city and obviously yeah. the, the the heroes and characters are from from new york so i i just think it's really cool how they did that it was real neat I do too. I do too. They really, they really make their nods to the comics and how the continuity, Marvel continuity, the epicenter of it is usually New York City. <laughs> yeah, which is a and, great, which is a great backdrop, right? And and place it, for it is, a film. It is, 
it is a great backdrop. I mean, Marvel, they always try to, I mean, ever since they dropped, the Silver Age dropped in the 1960s, it was like Marvel advertised themselves as the world outside your window. Yeah, they they try to be, even though they they are superhero and supervillain fantasy, they do try to add real world elements in there. More so than DC Comics, who have made up cities like Metropolis and Gotham City. Yeah. Yeah, it's always nice to like actually have something that feels authentic. Like, you know, so. It does, man. It does. And um, also, the director, you mentioned John Watts, right? What's it called? Yeah, he did direct the first two Spider-Mans for the MCU. And he's supposed to make his, uh, he's supposed to direct what's it called? The MCU's Fantastic Four film in another few years when they make their, when they make their MCU debut. Yeah, and that's another film, right? That that's just doing very well. I mean, they all do pretty well, but um, the Fantastic Four films—they were garbage. I mean, what's it called? The first two films, and then the reboot that they, they did that they did in two thousand fifteen, where Michael B. Jordan played the Human Torch, and before that, in the previous ones, where uh, Chris Evans played the Human Torch. And interesting postscripts of both of their careers is what's it called? And both of their comic book film careers is that they switch over to the Marvel Cinematic Universes and their stock just rises. Right. So it's, did you think, did you did, the, did those films do well financially though? or They did well financially, but critically they suck. They were panned and for good reason. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, like I said, when Chris Evans and Michael B. Jordan came to the MCU, it's like, oh, they're I mean, like, yeah, their careers, their t- careers took a better, took a better shift. And they, and they and they play their roles in the MCU well. Captain America, Killmonger. I can't see nobody else in those roles but those guys. Yeah, and then um, speaking about actors, going back to Defoe, Willem mm-hmm. Defoe. Um, I didn't know this, but I was reading about it. The uh, they used the de aging process in the the post production for the film. So he was. They did a similar technique to. Um, the Irishman. Remember how they kind of de-aged uh, mm-hmm. Pesci and De Niro? So yeah, I thought they that was did, pretty yeah. cool. They're really like pushing the 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 limit there with the technology. I like it. I do too. I do too. Especially considering they've gotten better with it over the years. Because I remember in two thousand six, I want to say when the X Men Origins Wolverine movie dropped, and they well they didn't try to de-age Patrick Stewart, but they tried to superimpose his face on the Professor Xavier's character. And that was just horrible as hell. Now, when they did it a few years later in 2009 in Tron Legacy with Jeff Bridges, people say that looks freaky, but I'm like, that is cool. He looks almost just like how how his character did in the original Tron damn near 30 years ago. Yeah, I liked it too. I just think it, yeah. it, 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 well, it also had that kind of digital futuristic look to it that Tron was uh, are like, you know, always known for. Mm-hmm. So it did. It worked, you know, even though it was newer and kind of CGI. Uh, ish it, it works so it works and they've gotten better at it um a few pl- a plot point for spider-man right quick um in case our viewers don't know without giving away spoilers even though at this point anything i say can qualify as a spoiler um the plot basically is it deals with where 2019 spider-man far from home left off right yeah the end of that film was Spider-Man's public identity as Peter Parker. I mean, his secret identity as Peter Parker being revealed to the public by J.K. Simmons's, um, his character, J. Jonah Jameson. He's reprising his role from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man franchise here in the MCU, which made me think, 
holy Christ, they're doing the whole the, the whole parallel reality cinematic universe theme already, right? But as it turns out in far in No Way Home, <coughs> excuse me, that's not what they were doing. Just, the MCU has their own version of a of a, of J Jonah Jameson. It just so happens he he was played by J.K. Simmons here as well too. Yeah, so um, Spider Man he wants to. He wants the public to no longer know his secret identity, so he teams up with Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme, to erase everybody's memory of his secret identity. But the problem is, Peter, he wants too much caveats in there. He botches the spell and brings over visitor, visitors from other realities, other parallel universes who know, who know of their reality's version of Peter Parker. Hence why the villains are back here. Willem Dafoe's character... Uh, the Green Goblin, Doc Ock, Electro, Sandman, etc. Yeah, and the plot, and the plot is he's got to send them all back to their respective universes before they cause more harm here. Gotcha. Yes. Um. Thanks for that. Um. So let's get into this soundtrack, man. Uh, all right, let's get started. It's 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 awesome. Uh, you know the the composer for this film, uh, Michael. I think it's Giacchino. Is that yeah, Michael Michael Giacchino. Yeah, Michael Giacchino. He's, a, he's done some 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 big stuff. I mean, he did what the Lost. Um, yeah, what the Lost uh, soundtrack score. or score. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Medal of Honor, Call of Duty, um, Alias, which was a pretty popular show for a little bit. That was with uh, what Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's some uh, that's a lot of good stuff there, and um, I think he does a really good job. Um, building the tension, making these scenes feel really epic, you know, with the, with the instrumentals, with the percussions. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really, when I listened to it, I thought it was re- really good. He, I thought so too. He did the scores for the previous two MCU Spider-Man films as well too. And he managed to incorporate um, or rather interpolate uh, the scores, the, the previous um previous film composer scores for the other Spider-Man franchise films from a composers like uh, Hans Zimmer, James Horner, Danny Elfman, Christopher Young, and Giacchino. He also did the theme for uh, Doctor Strange, his film as well, too. Okay. And uh, you said he was building off of some of the stuff that Hans Zimmer did, which I, I love his stuff. I mean, he did a lot of work with Ridley Scott, you know, with Gladiator, um, you know, he also, uh, I always also remember his film. Um, he did some, some work with, uh, Tony Scott, Ridley Scott's brother and RIP. Yeah. And yeah. Rest in peace. He was a great director. Um, and he, he did uh days of thunder, which I thought he did a really good job. The music in that, and that film is awesome. I just love the sound of the, the race cars too. I mean, like the sound design in that film is just incredible. My favorite, my favorite Hans Zimmer, uh, score soundtrack has to be backdraft. That was ill. Okay. Yeah. That's a good movie. That's the one with De Niro, right? De Niro and... Um... Yeah, he's in it, but the top build characters are really Kurt Russell and William Baldwin. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good film. That's a classic. Okay. So, um, you know, looking at some of these 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 songs that he did, uh, the first one's World... world Excuse me. World's Worst Friendly Neighbor. Ah, tough. Tough Tom for me Twister. to pronounce that. <laughs> Tongue twister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Try to say it three times fast. <laughs> exactly um this one this one was really good um like i said the build-up um you know to the to this this song is great and i think it fits really well with some of these 
these scenes, especially the the action ones, right? Like where there's um, a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I, yeah, I just think with that and Shield of Pain, right, was another yeah. one. Was another one where um, you know it, it, there's just a lot of uh, there's a lot of buildup, um, especially at that what you said like the two minute fifty six mark. Yes, where there's yeah, uh, yeah the Green Goblins attacked. And... Yeah, that that's where that's where I remember I remember that scene when I saw the film. I've seen it twice already. I know some people who've seen it like who put me to shame in my own family put it four or five times already. Oh wow! But I'm but Shield of Pain. Yeah, I remember that scene because it's where Peter is reconnecting. He's reconnecting with all the villains who are cured of their uh cured of their criminal of criminal tendencies temporarily cured. It's string driven, um, especially when they begin to stir, the strings begin to stir right at the two minute and 56 second mark. And that's when the Green Goblin, that's when he attacks. The, the, the string buildup just lets you know that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And the one that Andrew just mentioned before that, uh, the world's worst friendly neighbor. Yeah. Got that first time. No problem. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You, you're better than I am. <laughs> It's less than a minute long. It's dark, pretty ominous, claustrophobic almost, and it, there's very moody brass and concussion for it, percussion for it, and it's used at the opening of the film, right when Peter is staring at disbelief at the news report that revealed his secret identity to everybody and how he's continuously getting surrounded by so many people. Hence the claustrophobia part. Yeah, so you feel like it. It it, it really captures that that shock and awe kind of factor, right? Oh yeah, it does. Especially for the audience when we saw it at the end of far from home. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, then the, then we have what Iraq, Iraq, no, Iraq, no, Iraq, no, Yeah. yeah. So that's 10 minutes, 10 minutes long. And, um, that's played what at the closing credits, right? Yeah. It's played in the closing credits, the second half of the closing credits. Yeah. It's because it's 10 minutes long. That's what gives it like one of those like old 1970s art rock, prog rock feel to it. And but but it has an orchestra instead of anything that's electrically powered or any kind of lyrics that, that are telling any kind of narrative. Gotcha. Yeah. And then and um, so you said it had that kind of post post rock kind of feel or prog rock. Mm -hmm, it does. Yeah. I mean, the shifts that it takes with the orchestra. Yeah. And it's pretty eerie right up until right up until it builds up until uh, the 420 mark. Okay. Yeah. So, um, great stuff there. I mean, he, and, and do, do so is he going to do, um, is he going to do, um, do you think he's going to do the next film? I mean, like ha, was he did, um, did Watts use him in the, in the, um, in the previous, previous film or, yeah, he used him in the previous two Spider-Man films that he did. Yeah, he okay. was a composer for those. He was a composer for Doctor Strange in 2016, and I think he and I think he's going to do the sequel for Doctor Strange. It's going to drop this May, and the the Spider-Man film that even though they said this is going to be the last one, uh, uh because of the success of this film, critical and commercial, they got to do a fourth one, especially considering how the movie ended. Yeah, they they could the, the plot is open ended at this point. So you think there's going to be another a fourth one? one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's going to be a fourth one, just like there's going to be a fourth Thor. Okay, cool. Well, that that's exciting. Um, let's go into this next oh, track here. Oh, I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, the next track. Yeah, the um, 
the Spider-Man theme that he did, the interpolation of it, the Spider-Man, Spider-Man, <laughs> that one, yeah. Yeah, he used it, yeah, he used it in, in the trailer for Far From Home, but and it has elements of the original Spider-Man theme that was composed for the Spider-Man cartoon back in the 1960s, the one the one by uh, Paul Francis Webster and Bob Harris. Okay. Yeah, and, and it's fan service for, 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 for the comic fans and the old school heads, really. It's like... Yeah, you can't you can't do Spider-Man without having that theme somewhere up in there. <laughs> nice. All right, so we go to our next track talking by Talking Heads. It's called I Zimbra. Mm-hmm. And um this one's pretty cool. Um I I really liked it and I liked it for uh, one other reason is that he um David David Byrne from the from Talking Heads, he did yeah. a collaboration with uh, DC um, DJ band, uh, Thievery Corporation. I don't know if you've heard of them. And, I know uh, them. I know them. Yeah. Yeah. It was a song called uh, "Hearts a Lonely Hunter." It's really good. Uh, but I think it was cool how um, they were used on this soundtrack, and they're also what another New York, a New York band, right? They were yeah, pretty influential. They were, mm-hmm, they were all members. For they were all former art students that became a big part. They became a big part of the New York punk scene and later pioneered the, the eighties, uh, the eighties new wave scene. Okay. Yeah. And, um, this song is played what in the opening credits, right? Like, yeah. in the opening credits when Mary, when, uh, I'm sorry, MJ and Peter, they're starting to get surrounded by reporters and like, they're getting brushed by reporters or bystanders that are like, Oh my God, he touched me. Did you see that? I can sue him. Oh my God. Like we got to get the hell out of here. So he flings his web. And takes MJ and they're swinging through the city just to get the hell away from people. And Izimbra is playing in the background. Okay, very cool, very cool. And then um, it reminds me of a, a Paul Simon, like a Paul Simon kind of production, because of all the uh, the international the international influences with the conga rhythms and the African pop music that it has up in there. Yeah, that's what I thought was the most interesting part about this song is that you know it was different, right? Like it wasn't. Yeah. And it almost sounded like a thievery corporation song, honestly, like with the beats and the percussion. Right. It really reminded me of that when, um, and maybe that's why they did a collaboration together. I don't know, but, um, it's, yeah, it's definitely, uh, something I wasn't expected, but I love the percussions. I love the, um, I, I just, I just love how it works, man. It works perfectly with that, with, uh, the, the scene and, um, Yeah. and also you know another i'm i'm really honestly surprised that they didn't use like a nas song on this on this soundtrack because of like all of the the new york you know uh artists and musicians that they they gave a nod to right like right and given marvel's uh the the hit the hip-hop variant covers they did back in 2016 and nas his illmatic was one of them right yeah they could have they could have used some some New York rappers for this. I mean, they use they use like one or a few of them, but it's like, come on, come on, come on! All the all the New York rappers that I know that are that are Marvel fans, I would have gladly let you use a track. Y'all could y'all could come on Disney, y'all could have done it. And stop saving stop saving your soundtrack money for the Guardians of the Galaxy movies too. <laughs> exactly. So our next track, uh, <laughs> Liquid Liquid. Uh, the song's called Scraper. Scraper, yeah. This one was like a really obscure track, honestly. Like, never heard of this band. Um, I, I guess they're using more. I mean, it does have some a lot of percussion um, 
it's strong in the percussions and the beats. I mean, and, and it seems like they kind of stick to that theme, right? Throughout yeah, the soundtrack. They um, are sticking to it, yeah. And um we you did mention earlier that most of the artists on here are from New York area. Yeah, Giacchino, yeah, he's the only he's technically the only outlier. He's he's a Tony Soprano type. He's from Jersey. Okay. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um yeah, I mean this this band again, I I I've I've never really heard of them until I had to, you know, re- kind of research them. Same but, here. Um, Same apparently here. they did this uh what they were known for this song called a cavern, right? Which was Yes. They sampled um the this what the song White Lines by Grandmaster uh Melly Mel. Melly Mel, yeah. But they did so without permission. Did yeah, they get in that, trouble or did they start yeah. some sort of feud? It was, or... a, it was some legal trouble, I think. Yeah. Um, and of course, yeah, there, there is a feud when you use something like that without permission in the music industry. Yeah. Like, a, yeah. like Coolio and uh, Weird Al Yankovic. But it's like, in that case, Coolio, he admitted years later, I was stupid for even starting a feud with him or getting mad at him for, for, for doing that. I could have collected a check right then and there. And, and besides, the parody was funny. Yeah, it was. Uh, Weird Al's done some funny stuff. I like the Nirvana, uh, Nirvana one that he did. Oh yeah, smells like smells like uh, I forget what it's called, but it was really funny. <laughs> the music video and they like copy. I think they used the same like janitor from that <laughs> from, the, from, the, from the smells like Teen Spirit video. Yeah, the one yeah. that's like yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, that Weird Al is a real creative guy, man. I gotta, you know, tip my hat off to him. He's done he, some really good stuff. His parodies are funny. He even does like them, like frame for frame at times to get them just right. Like in the video for a UHF, how he parodies all those '80s music videos, <laughs> like like Robert Palmer, Prince, Billy Idol. I'm like, this is this is. How do you not laugh at this? Did he do a uh, what was that song by Robert Palmer? It was um, was it another kiss I think or something or addicted to love? Addicted to love. That's what it was. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, he did a parody of of that video in UHF. Yeah, nice, nice. (laughs) All right, so we go to uh, Beastie Boys is the next track. No sleep till Brooklyn. This is a real famous one. I love it. It's um, super aggressive. I mean, and, and, it, and it captures a lot of that. Like they, I feel like they kind of experimented with rock and rap, right? Like, I mean, they the were, guitars. they were, um, yeah, the Beastie Boys. Yeah, they were the first white rappers in hip hop, right? And um, they were originally a punk band, but but they, when they switched over to hip hop, they still maintained a lot of their uh, punk elements, particularly the guitar riffs and whatnot, and and the aggressive punk attitude too. And that's exemplified in No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Um, that's from their 1986 Def Jam debut album, Licensed to Ill, and produced by Rick Rubin, who is known for being one of the main guys who producers who had the idea of merging rap and rock together. Yeah, Rubin's such a iconic producer, right? I mean, yeah, it's like so Rick- many great bands like Rage Against the Machine, ACDC, you know, Beastie Boys, like you said. LL Cool J, uh, yeah. um, Run, Run DMC, produced 99 Problems by Jay-Z. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he's a hell of a beat maker. Getting him back to produce a hip-hop beat now is is pretty is pretty rare. But when you do and you see the words produced by Rick Rubin, I'm like, okay, and those words I trust. He knows what the hell he's doing behind the boards. Yeah. I mean, I think he's made enough money where he could retire, but probably doesn't probably doesn't do much now. I think he I think he actually does a podcast on YouTube. Every, every, celebrity, 
every celebrity's out doing a podcast now. Some of them are really good, like uh, Noriega, the rapper Noriega from CNN. He has drink champs, and they call themselves the most professional, unprofessional podcast. And that's true. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, and I've seen that before on YouTube. That's a, that's pretty good. Um, they have a bunch of um, really like well-known um, rappers on there. I think they had Master P on, on one episode. That was pretty mm-hmm. cool. They had DMX um, on there before he died. That was a good episode. Yeah. Um, um, Alicia Keys, MC Search. They they got mad people up on there. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, and then the the Rick Rubin one's really good too. I mean, they have just like like it's exactly like that one. Um, essentially, musicians. You know, I think it's called On the Record or something. I think that's what it's called. Or it's funny how Rick Rubin used to be. Have you seen how he was when he was young? When he was a young man, first starting out with Def Jam, him and Russell Simmons. No, I haven't seen a picture of him back then. And I, he was a lot more younger, of younger, of course, but a lot more boisterous, heavy New York accent, getting in people's faces and whatnot. <laughs> As he got older, right, like late 90s with the sunglasses, got a little portly and that long, like wizard type hair. What's it called? He's like, he's like more Zen like, like Buddhist like. Yeah, he just seems so chill, chill. now. Like, yeah, he... very chill. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so when he did 99 problems, I'm like, you did that beat? you're chill as fuck how did you know what never mind it's dope (laughs) yeah yeah that song is amazing um but yeah this track i mean um i feel like we were talking about beastie boys the last time we did the album review for illmatic because maybe it was because they were both on the same label right Nas was on def jam yeah Nas. he later he later got on def jam uh later in his career around the time when um i want to say when jay-z became president of the label Okay. Yeah, but Nas, he was on Columbia Records at first. Yeah, okay. but, but we probably mentioned it because not, Def Jam was one of the labels that uh, Nas shopped his demo to, but they refused. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, Russell Simmons said he sounds too much like Cool G Rap, and even though Cool G Rap's dope, he doesn't sell no records. <laughs> but later on, right? I mean, I, I guess he was wrong, right? I mean, he was wrong. Yeah, Nas is commercial viability. I mean, Illmatic, it's so, it went gold upon its initial release, but... His sophomore album, uh, it was written. That wasn't his, his star power was enough so that that the album went at least double platinum. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. So, yeah, th- this song, um, this song is great. I mean, looking at the lyrics too, like you know, you said that that um, you said that the Beastie Boys, what they were talking about, touring a lot, right? They were touring a lot yeah. at this time. And then we mm-hmm. can go to the lyrics here. Ain't no faking your money. I'm taking going coast to coast, watching all the girlies shaking while you're at the job working nine to five. The Beastie Boys at the Garden, M- Madison Square Garden, uh, cold kicking it live. Live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, the whole song is just talking about touring. It's not about New York, really. But uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn uh, people, they, they took it as kind of like a as something of an anthem at times. Yeah. Nice, nice. So you, so if you play this or like what's it called or uh, hypnotized by Biggie in the middle of Bed Stuy, they'll, they'll know what's up. Yeah, yeah. In the film, though, in this film, it was using the scene where Flash Thompson, his character, where he walks into a donut shop, the donut shop where Mary, where MJ works at, and he's bragging about his acceptance to college, to a New England college, mind you. And he, re- but he replaces in the song as he's singing it. He's like, no sleep till boston because <laughs> he's Cause going to mit mit yeah exactly yeah that's cool yeah boston another great band 
that I feel oh, like yeah. feel like kind of you know they had like that one album. I'm blanking on it, but it had you know the classics like uh, Smokin' and um, what's the other one? The f- real famous one, um, more than a feeling. more than a feeling, and and rock and roll band and all those like. Uh, I feel like they, they had like one good album and then I think they didn't, I think the lead singer like passed away or something. I don't know. I don't know. But that first album, that was the definition of like arena stadium rock, like foreigner. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And the beasties, yeah, they're broken up now too. I mean, they were ad rock Mike D and MCA and MCA died of throat cancer in 2012. So the band, yeah, they broke up from that. Okay. Yeah. yeah I remember that. That was, yeah. When was that? Was that a couple of years? Was that like three or 2012, four? 10 years ago. Wow. Man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, they kept getting, they kept getting innovative with their albums. I mean, their first album, they were basically like some sophomore punk New York kids. Second album that's considered their best production wise. Uh, the Paul's boutique, the way the dust brothers put the production on there, that cut pace method from everywhere, a drum beat from here, a uh, movie sample from there in order to, and weaving it all together. So it sounds coherent. Yeah, they couldn't make that kind of an album today. It would cost too much money. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's sample clearances. They didn't have sample laws back then. So it was just like a free-for-all, right? Pretty much, yeah, until Bismarck E, somebody sued him. And what's it called? And it led to a new uh, president in the music in the music industry paying for sample clearances. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it, it's intellectual property, right? I mean... Yeah. It is intellectual property, yeah. I mean... I mean, if somebody's using my material without permission. Yeah, I would want to get it. I would want. I want a piece of it too. It's like, yeah, go. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Just pay me. Yep, pay me, and we're all good. Um, mm-hmm. So the next track, Odyssey, Native New Yorker. Um, this was this was what the this was played on the cell phone, right? Was it? Uh, yeah. Of um, what was it? Uh, who whose whose cell phone was that? Was happy Happy Hogan. Happy, yeah, Happy Hogan, which is played by who? John Favreau. Mm-hmm. Um, who's amazing, by the way. I, I like John Favreau. Funny how he made that that cameo on The Sopranos. That was funny. That one episode. I think it was like the first season, right? Or- yeah, it was. Yeah, Favreau. He he he. He'll always have points for me. He saved the Star Wars film. The, not the film franchise, but the the Star Wars franchise for me. I mean, him doing the Mandalorian and the Boba Fett Jones on Disney Plus. Yeah, those are better than the Star Wars movies that have been coming out in recent years. And he's directing those, right? Like the directing them and writing some of them, yeah. Yeah, he's just super talented. I mean, he yeah. seems. I feel like he can do it all, man. He can act, he can direct, he can write. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't believe this. I, he was actually in um, Rudy. You remember that film, Rudy? Yeah, with Sean film? Astin. Yeah, with the, the the Notre Dame. I'm here to play football for the Irish. Yeah, and guess who else is in that film? Who I I didn't even notice was um, Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn yeah. was in that movie. So the two uh, two actors from Swingers. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and the and the Goonies, right? Because <laughs> wasn't uh-huh. Sean Astin in the Goonies? Yeah, Sean Astin was in the Goonies. Yeah, he was Mike, Mike Mikey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Random tidbit there, but um, yeah. <laughs> That's back, back, back to the track. Um, yeah. I did not. Yeah, I did not know this track right here was a was a cover, a disco cover of a Frankie Valley lead singer from the Four Seasons. Of a song that he released the same year, I did not know that at all. Yeah, that, me neither. Um, but it's uh, it, it is an interesting track. Um, again, another New York band, right? Um, Odyssey, yes, yes, they are. I've, I've heard this sampled before too by other New York rappers. So why do you think they use this? Uh, use this in the scene, like 
Was it to kind of be goofy or? A little bit, a little bit. And uh, it kind of, uh, I don't want to say they're hitting us over the head by using mostly New York artists. But what's it called? This is this is a, it's it's on the nose using a song called "Native New Yorker" in here. Considering Parker, he's from Queens, and uh, and most of and most of these and the whole plot takes place in New York City. So, yeah, and, okay. And then, um, I mean, they definitely obviously references to New York City in the lyrics too. You grew up riding the sub subways, running with people up in Harlem, which is in which is a uh, Northern Manhattan, of, yeah. yeah. Down on Broadway, you're 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 no tramp, but you're no lady talking at street talk. You're the heart and soul of New York City. Well, there and it is, right? And, and considering what's it called, the um Happy Hogan, he was dating Aunt May during the film. It could be his ringtone for her. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Then you then it was also um, you know, we were talking about this. You said it's kind of a nod to many of the Marvel superheroes, right? Which are native New Yorkers. Yeah, yeah, most of them are native New Yorkers, yeah. And they mentioned several details in New York landmarks as well, too. Yeah. Very cool. Um this next one I thought was 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 pretty cool too by Dania Asuna Bailando Cumbia. Mhm. Mm and um this was uh he's a composer from Texas and um does Latin music and instrumental compositions and um this was used in the credits, right? Yeah, it was used in the um, in the post credit scene where, where Tom Hardy's his Venom character appears. Yeah, in the post credit scene, it reveals that okay, the spell Doctor Strange's spell brought everybody over from parallel universes who knows of Peter Parker. So yeah, it makes sense that Venom is here too. Yeah. Do you think that? So do you think the next Venom movie will be better? Because I know you had told me previously that the last venom movie was not very good right I, I didn't like it personally i mean some people told me that the sequel that came out in 2021 let there be carnage where uh woody harrelson plays um um the 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 the, the, the offspring symbiote of a eddie brock's venom symbiote right father son basically okay yeah and um they said that was good and the post credit scene in there it relates to the one that were the one that's in question right now for for, for no way home so yeah, um, based on how the scene, how the post credit scene went down, yeah, they're gonna try to, they're gonna try to do a Venom movie where it's like a, like how the Spider Mans were done, like a joint venture between Sony and and Marvel. Like Sony, you sit back, we'll do all the work. You you can make your money by sitting in the cut. <laughs> nice. Mm -hmm. uh, did you think Tom Tom Hardy was you know right for the role as Venom or? He's right for the role, but it's like it's the plot really that just. Uh, that irked me because it's like Venom was a villain at first, but throughout the film franchise, they've been making him into how he later became in the book, the quote unquote lethal protector and anti-hero. Gotcha. And, and, um, and making him into like a, a, a justice crusading reporter. Yeah. He's a reporter in the book. Eddie Brock is a reporter, but it's like his career. You can't tell his origin story without Spider-Man basically. Right. That's why I was kind of a bit salty on the first Venom film. I was like, how are you going to do this without Spider-Man? Because his career as a reporter, as a as a journalist, went downhill because of Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. He got a confession from a, a serial killer called the Sin Eater. Right. But then a few weeks later, Spider-Man got a confession from the real Sin Eater, which made Eddie Brock a laughingstock. 
he lost his job at at the, at, at some major journalist firm, and it was and was forced to do sleazy tabloid reporting. So he held a grudge against Spider Man for that. So do you think do you think that that's what's going to be? Do you think he's going to be part of the next plot, like the plot line for the next Spider Man? Do you think that they're gonna? A version of him, a version of him that that might exist in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, just like just like how how we saw in this film with Maguire and uh, Garfield versions, their versions of Spider-Man exist in other universes. The MCU may have their own version of Venom, which may or may not look look just like Tom Hardy. But yeah, I think the next Venom film will be will have that will have that plot element up in there. Okay. So you think the main kind of weak part of the Venom film was just the writing? Yes, yes, and they made Venom too funny. It's like too out of control, like 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 a pet, like a pet that hasn't been housebroken. <laughs> I like that reference. Um, so yeah, uh, this track, um, I, I think it's different. You know, like you have, I mean, it's definitely a different genre, um, but you know um i just it's they kind of mix it up with this track and um i like how they kind of use it like you said in in the in the credits the ending credits there um and the word by by londo cumbia actually translates to dancing colombian oh yeah mm-hmm. so i don't know how that ties in or if there's any kind of special meaning in that but that's i don't of- think i don't think so either i think they just needed like some bar music i guess <laughs> nice yeah it's like some it's like a it's like it's like what's his face? Kurt Vonnegut once said when people try to read too deeply into his work. He's like, sometimes a blue shirt is just a blue shirt. Yeah. Doesn't have to mean something. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So all right, then we go to our last track here by De La Soul, The Magic Number. Mm-hmm. This was a big surprise, but it also very appropriate. Yes. It was uh it was used right at right as the right at the ending credits and it's definitely a reference to all three Spider Mans appearing in the film. Yeah, the number three, right? Which is uh-huh. in the lyrics. Um three three is the magic, magic number. Not, yeah. Yeah, that's a sample right then and there too. And this song, The Magic Number, is from De La Soul's nineteen eighty nine debut, Three Feet High and Rising. And like uh the aforementioned Beastie Boys album, Paul's Boutique, which was released in the same year. The sampled material on this record, it was, it's another example of an album that cannot be made today, not without it costing a fuck ton of money. <laughs> just because like you were saying, the copy and paste, how they did that, um, it just would take that, too long, right? That, yeah, I mean, not that it would take too long if you know what you're doing, but yeah, it would take too long to get all the, all the, all the samples cleared. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it would take very long at. Yeah. And, um. And also the difference between Three Feet High and Rising and uh, Paul's Boutique is that this album right here, the, the the sampled material. I mean, at a time when people were more content to sample James Brown's catalog or Bob James, Prince Paul, the production the producer for De La Soul, he 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 took on guys like Steely Dan, um, Led, Led Zeppelin, Zeppelin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the Steve Miller Band. Uh, Richard Pryor and Sam Kinison records, um, and even even Schoolhouse Rock for this song right here. Three is a magic number by Bob Durow. That's that's really cool, and it's it's different, right? Because you, like you said, they were doing more kind of R and B sampling of like yeah. James Brown, and then you know De La Soul goes the complete opposite direction, right? And they yeah they yeah they were they were the they were the weird guys of hip hop at the time. It's like they're three suburban rays Long Island guys from Long Island. 
So it's like, and a lot of that shows in their music. They're not trying to be tough. They're not street dudes either. Yeah, they were just trying to be, you know, creative and, and they, uh, you know. Um, they were dudes that I could see myself growing up around. Like the, the, the black dudes, the black kids from my neighborhood that had multifaceted influences. Yeah, and it's like, you know, they were just trying to be clever with it, right? And just be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were clever. They were unconventional and they knew it. Like, like what's it called? Like, um. Even the rhyme schemes for this song right here, the magic number, right? Like they 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 don't rhyme, they don't rhyme the 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 last word of each line. They don't rhyme it with the next word and the next. They do it with the one with the next. They do it with every other one. Like uh, the way it starts off, it's like this: difficult preaching is possum's pleasure. Pleasure in preaching starts in the heart. Something that stimulates the music in my measure, measure in my music, raised in three parts. Yeah, yeah. So they're doing no kind did of something before. different there with the lyrics, right? Like, yeah, no one did that before. So when you hear it, it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't rhyme. Oh, 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 you just gotta, you gotta keep up with it. Yeah, yeah. Do you? You were mentioning how they were sampling some of the rock bands, you know, like Zeppelin and Steely Dan. Mm -hmm. I'm blanking on the name of the group that did that collaboration with Aerosmith, and I feel so foolish right now. Um, Run DMC. Run DMC. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Walk was, this way. Produced by Rick Rubin. Yeah. So uh, do you think that they were kind of like influenced by by uh, Run DMC or w was was Run DMC before? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember the timetables here. Yeah, they were before De La Soul. They were a good three years before De La Soul made okay. their debut. So maybe yeah, De, La, De La Soul was influenced by them. I don't know. I, yeah, I would say, I would say, I say more than any other group, Run DMC is responsible for the, the hip hop's image. Because before that, they were like wearing disco clothes and whatnot. Run DMC made it cool just to like be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Be street image or just be yourself. And De La were definitely themselves. Yeah. And I mean, they weren't afraid to mix up hip hop and, and rock and roll, which I think goes so well together. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they were just they were they were weird guys. They were just unconventional. I mean, the first album, the first album they have, it has like a. It has like a, a progressive rock feel to it in terms of how it is thematically. It's loosely based around like a game show, but uh, they got like there. There's lots of inside jokes, uh, playful lyrics. Um, they're they're not trying to be gangsters or nothing like that. Even though on tour, those guys are known to be pretty tough if you fuck with them. <laughs> well, hey man, this was awesome, man. Um, I enjoyed going through this soundtrack. Um, this movie is, it's awesome. Um, excited to see what they do in the future. I mean, I think there's just tons of possibilities. There's with... tons of, there's tons of things they can do with the Spider-Man character. Now. I mean, given how it ended, he, he, he is, he has a chance to start over pretty much. And, um, what else has been going on? Oh, for Phase 4, Marvel may have to step it up a lot because I say that because James Gunn, right? Have you watched the show Peacemaker on HBO Max? No, I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to see that. All right, it's a, it's a it's a spin-off from the Suicide Squad movie that James Gunn did last year, right? Yeah, DC Comics is one of theirs, but it's irreverent rated R and Marvel needs that in order to in order to keep it going, right? Cause like they had the Netflix characters with like the Daredevils, the the, the Punishers, the Luke Cages, but they gotta 
they got to make those rated R. Bring them back over to Disney Plus, but make them rated R. Yeah. yeah. Or like have like a Disney adult version of Disney Plus or whatever where you can do those at because I know they're still kind of kid oriented. Yeah. Do you think they'll do another Deadpool? Yeah, that they have to. They have to. Yeah, that I'm looking forward to that. But hey, yeah. man, what what else do you have going on with uh with the podcast, like the 301 oh, Color Commentators sorry. podcast? Oh, we just got done filming our third episode uh, last week. Yeah, we did it at PG Plaza Mall at a third sp- third space lounge. Yeah, we talked about the movie Scarface, uh, the the TV series Ozark, and, and up until the uh, the first half of the final season that aired a few weeks back, and um, the wrestler, the Dynamite Kid. Yeah, so we're we're continuously making strides with the three hundred one Colored Commentators podcast. Me and my friend Anthony. Yeah, and you can get that pretty much everywhere, right? You know, Apple yeah, Podcast everywhere. Everywhere now, everywhere, yeah, everywhere we, everywhere you find uh, Rotunes reviews, Wall of Soundtrack, you can find three hundred one Colored Commentators there too. Awesome, man. And I'll put a link in the in the video description to the podcast. And for Thank all you. you for all those who are, are watching and listening, uh subscribe to the to the podcast. He's got a YouTube channel too, three oh one colored commentators podcast. I'll put a link in the video description as well, man. Thank you. Thank you. But this was awesome again, man. And uh let me know when you guys are doing an episode and if you need another guest, I'll be happy to join. Oh yeah, we're we'll be doing guests. We'll be having guests up on there in the future. Yeah, and you're more than welcome. We'll send you the we'll send you the invite. Nice. All right, man. Well, this was a pleasure. Um, always, what do, always. What What do you think we're gonna do next? You want to do uh, want to do maybe another another Marvel movie, or are you thinking something else? Ah, oh, we we do get a lot of play when we do when we do the Marvel films, Marvel soundtracks. But the trick is, which one do we do? Um could do the doctor strange one i mean that's gonna come out this year and that's like a horror film as is okay and sam and sam raimi's behind that one too he's directing it all right that so yeah we can do that one sure we'll do that one all right right, well we will do that one and uh thanks for doing this again and we'll see you guys next time all right next time all right take it easy later my youtube channel rotunes reviews it's also available on itunes spotify soundcloud stitcher and other major podcast distributors as well so if you don't mind please leave me some feedback i'd really appreciate that if you'd like to connect with me on social media i'm on facebook twitter my twitter handle is at rotunes revs i'm on instagram and i'm also on the untapped app my username is brutuned this is andrew signing off cheers Mm -hmm.